Welcome to Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, the podcast for anyone who writes. Whatever types of writing you do, our goal at Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger is to give you a shot of writing inspiration by picking the brains of all kinds of professional writers about their writing and the writing life. I'm your host, Claire Lynch, and in this episode, I talk to Catherine Wolfe, a former director for the BBC, about writing for video. In our chat, Catherine offers tips for presenting information in front of a camera and how to adapt written content so it works in a video format. That's coming right up. about your background and some of the shows and stars that you worked with? Uh, Well, I had a career at the BBC where they trained me as a TV director and I worked on a huge range of different programmes there. When I was extremely young, I was working with top presenters and then I went on to train uh, my own fleet of presenters. I'm very proud of training uh, Seema Jaswal, who presents on BBC, uh, mostly sport, football, snooker. She's been presenting at the Cricket World Cup as well. And I trained her literally here in my lounge on this sofa. Where we are talking. Yes. Uh, David McClelland, he's the technology uh, presenter for a range of programmes, mostly known for um, Rip Off Britain on BBC and Watchdog. And Julia Chatterley, she's got her own show on CNN at the moment called First Edition. She's also an anchor at CNN, trained here in my lounge at my table. Some children's presenters, Kerry Boyne, who's presenting on CITV Saturday and Sunday mornings, Scrambled. And Sita Thomas, who's presenting on Channel 5's Milkshake. So really, really, uh, really proud of those people. So what kind of skills are you helping them with? I mean, obviously this is a podcast about writing, but we're talking communication skills here, I suppose. Yes. People come to me because they fear talking to a camera or they are worried about talking on stage to a live public audience at an event. So the skills that I help people with are to... um, be able to overcome any nerves that they may have and to to reach their audience. So if you're talking to a camera, then that's about talking through that camera to find the viewers on the other side of the lens. And if you're in a live situation, then it's about looking at the people who you're talking to and not just talking into sort of dead space. It seems to me that there are a lot of parallels with the written word. Often when you're faced with a blank page, what you're trying to see is the reader behind that blank page. Yes, of course. I mean, it all starts with knowing your audience, knowing your target audience. Who are they and what do you want to say to them? So, for example, if you're a children's TV presenter, you think of the four-year-old on the sofa. And that is a uh, well-worn sort of mantra that's passed down through all the play school presenters. It's like the tablets that are passed down. So actually, Justin Fletcher, who plays Mr. Tumble, who's an award-winning children's presenter, he will talk about the four-year-old on the sofa. But he was taught that by the play school presenters who trained him. So equally, if you're an adult presenter, then you need to think of Who are you talking to and what is it you want to say to them? There is no point in looking pretty and being able to just turn up punctually on the set. You need to have a purpose. And it's that purpose and your expert knowledge that as part of your package to be able to reach your audience. I'm interested that of this idea of the four-year-old on the sofa. It's a single four-year-old and I think that's another parallel with the written word. I often tell my students that you should 
right for one person. You're not presenting to a group of four-year-olds. It's that one person who's watching you on that screen at a time. Yes, and it's also the same for radio. So if you're on radio uh, as a presenter, you want to imagine the one listener, because where is that listener? In the bath, in the shower, in the garden, in the car, doing the ironing. And the, Very intimate. Yes, and the words you choose are those of the singular. My favourite are classic FM presenters, and they do this really, really well. They make you feel like you're the only listener in the world, the only person that they're talking to, because they tell you to, you know, literally kick off your shoes, put on the kettle, there's a great show for you coming up, so stick with me for the next hour. And the best of the presenters, let's say BBC presenters, who I enjoy watching, Fiona Bruce, Hugh Edwards, Monty Don, David Attenborough, they make you feel like you're the only person in the world to whom they are telling the news or telling you how to plant your daffodils. Now, I wonder if there is there has been a slight change in that style with YouTube, because when I think of a typical YouTube presenter, I think of a young kid going, Hi guys! Hi all my subscribers! <laughs> Do you think that's maybe changed the style? Well, as ever, it's different styles for different platforms. So when you have YouTubers and vloggers, yes, they should include their audience because their aim is to build up a community. So it's perfectly right for them to include everybody because then you feel part of that network. So if we are just writing for one person or communicating with one person, what are the things that we need to bear in mind when we're thinking of that four-year-old on the sofa or the housewife watching QVC? What do we need to think about in terms of the language we use? Well, I always advise people to use singular language, as I've just said. So you always want to say you imagining you're talking to the one person. As a copywriter, I have to say you is considered the most powerful word in the English language. It's the word we use most as copywriters. Because you want to engage with your viewer and you want to hook them and bring them in. So, for example, if, if you're on a stage, say a pantomime, you would happily say, hello, boys and girls. If, if you're hosting an evening event, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You don't hear that on television. It would be very odd. <laughs> it doesn't work. What you do hear on television is, hello, lovely to have you again. So pleased you've joined the show. And the singular is the, is the most important way in which you can reach your audience. Once you start straying from that, then it's as if the camera is recording you giving a presentation to a room of people and you're not talking to one person through the camera. So it feels like there's a distance there, a barrier there. Yes, it's about engaging with your audience and using the right language to hook them in. And is talking to a group rather than one person one of the mistakes that you see beginners make? It depends. If they've come from a background of, say, uh, that say they're a teacher or a management consultant and they're used to delivering presentations or standing up and delivering in class, then their presentation to camera can be a bit too lectury, teachery, and I feel like it's not really reaching the target audience, the hit point. So I will say to them, imagine that you're talking to your best friend. Imagine you're talking to one person. It's funny, a previous guest who was a copywriter gave exactly the same piece of advice if you're writing. It seems to me the parallels are very, very Yeah, and obvious. it's the same for radio. Because we're talking here about connecting with with your audience 
And that, where is that audience if it's, for, if it's a TV audience? Are there millions of people all watching it together? Generally, no. The viewers may be in their millions, but actually they're in ones and twos sitting in their lounge. Or nowadays they've got their headphones on and they're watching on their laptop. But it's, um, it's a singular experience. So aside from using that singular pronoun, you, how else can you adapt your language, say, from the classroom style or the formal speech style to the more intimate style? Well, I think you've hit it on the head. It's about being conversational. It's not formal at all. We look now at 1950s and 60s broadcasts and we think, gosh, aren't they formal? Well, it doesn't matter if you're... Uh, sentences aren't perfect. You're not writing an essay here that's going to be poured over and devoured again and again. You're writing something that's generally going to be heard once. So in television, on the whole, we hear it the once. We don't go back and play it again and again like you would with a book. You might go back to that favourite passage and just just rerun that little moment that you want to reread. It doesn't work like that. So therefore, the language you use has to be um, conversational, as if talking to a friend. It doesn't have to be perfect sentences. It doesn't have to have that formal sort of structure to it. It might have a bit of slang and it might be a little bit rough around the edges, but it's, um, it's how you would normally talk. And a trap that some people fall into is that they write themselves a beautiful script. It's, it's like they're, they're entering a sort of English prose competition. And then I ask them to read it aloud. And I say, is that how you would normally talk? <laughs> and they say, no. So how is that ever going to work on television or radio? Reading a piece of work aloud is actually a really good discipline to get into, even if it's not going to be presented orally. Um, even if it's going to be a written piece. I'm, I'm interested in what happens after this reading aloud. What, what do you tell them to do with it? Do you tell them just to tear it up? <laughs> and, right, okay. And, and then how do they cope with that? They understand where I'm coming from. So, yes, I had somebody recently who's a, a, a wine expert wrote a beautiful essay about the Loire Valley and then tried to (laughs) deliver it to camera. And it sounded stilted, old-fashioned, formal. And I said, that's not how you speak, is it? She said, no. So it didn't work. And uh, hopefully people understand that it doesn't work and why it doesn't work. Quite happy to rip it up and start again. I've got an example here of something that I found on... A website. So for example, if I asked you to write a review of a spa, I found this on the Time Out website and I'm going to read it to you. While located beneath the Connaught Hotel in less than relaxing Mayfair, whilst you're being massaged in oils from the continent of your choice in the heavenly Amman spa, ensconced in hot towels on a heated bed and being murmured to in hushed tones by your barefoot therapist, you won't believe you're not in a Malaysian beach spa. I have to say that's a fairly clunky sentence, even on the page. <laughs> and then I, when I reach the end, I might, you know, gasp for breath. So, um, great spa, by the way. Sounds like a wonderful place to go to. But um, the review, you've said clunky. I've said overlong sentence for a start. It's clearly a sentence that the writer has worked yes, on worked and on. is rather proud of, you imagine. And it is full of all the the pitfalls 
that many people who are new to this fall into the traps they fall into. It's difficult to get your tongue around. It hasn't got exactly sort of alliterative tongue twisters, but it's difficult to say. It would be difficult to remember. Yes, because it is syntactically complex. It would be difficult to read on autocue because you'd never see the end of the sentence in front of you because the screen isn't big enough to show you the whole thing at once. And it's not how people speak. So you only get to the punchline when you're right at the very end when it says you won't believe you're not in a Malaysian beach spa. Up until then, you've got to carry the, the audience with you. You can just about do that if it's something that's written and the audience is reading this. They can go back and look at it again. But if if Hugh Edwards was to read me this, I would be completely lost. I mean, I have to say, I think most readers would actually have little tolerance for that kind of writing um, too. So how would you adapt that? How How would you rescue that? I would ask the reviewer to just describe to me in the way that you're talking to a friend over a garden wall, what was it you really liked about this spa? And don't worry about perfect sentences, as I said before. Very often in television, you don't even have a script. You have bullet points and you can ad lib on a theme as long as you get the key points across. So I would say don't script it. It's in your brain. You, you, you know what you want to say. You just need to say it in a very natural way and it'll come out fine. Is this episode inspiring you to be a better writer? If so, visit my blog, goodcopybadcopy.co.uk, for a wealth of writing tips and to claim your free copy of my ebook, The 200 Writing Tips That'll Get You Writing Like a Pro. And if you're enjoying the show, remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Your support really means a lot to me because it helps get the show noticed. Now, back to the interview. Alliteration is often used in marketing. So here is something again. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> so do you, is your advice to avoid alliterative phrases like that in video? Completely avoid. Completely avoid. They look fine on the written page. It would work beautifully on a brochure. It's not how people speak. It's not how you and I would discuss makeup. <laughs> I hope. Not unless we were sort of being slightly ironic. <laughs> and um, it's not conversational. It's not natural. So if it's you know one thing that you take away from this, it's be conversational, over the garden wall, and talk to, to one viewer, one listener, as you would one reader. We've also talked about reading aloud, and that's so important. So in your prep before you were to do any sort of presentation or recording speak it aloud this is a spoken medium tv is not about writing a script and leaving it on the page you have to deliver that script as i say it may be a script it may be just bullet points it may be a little a brief that you've been given you might ad lib around a theme whichever is your version that you're working with speak it aloud first not in your head but actually speak it. If you've written a tongue twister, if, if your script has got you know pitfalls in it, and that's the time when you're going to notice it, you don't want egg on your face when there's a camera staring at you. Yes, and starting to feel sort of suddenly nervous about getting it exactly right word for word. 
Yes, I mean, there are some genuine events which could trip people up. For example, um, the Brit Awards has, has a category for, you know, best British female singer, let's say. Well, I have heard people say breast. Oh, dear. <laughs> and, you know, this is a professional broadcaster. That's fine. People make mistakes the whole time. And the thing to do is to get yourself out of that quickly. Yes, yeah. And to correct it. So sometimes there are alliterative or tongue twister phrases and they will be there. Uh, but generally, if you can avoid them, uh, life would be much simpler. And we've talked about the sort of very micro aspect of producing a script. What would your advice be for someone who's producing a script and thinking about bigger picture issues like structure or general approach? What would your advice be? The general advice I give is to uh, keep it simple. So the rule of three is very common. Uh, it is no coincidence that you know since the beginning of time uh, we've had you know friends romans countrymen education 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 i came i saw i conquered stop look listen the rule of three works very well because we tend to remember three key things if we've been to a lecture or a presentation so why stuff your lecture or presentation or speech or script full of different topics when actually people are going to walk away remembering three. So focus on the three and flag it up at the beginning and recap those three key points at the end and you will have won because your audience will walk away remembering three key points that you've talked about, which is great. It's amazing. If you go into four, suddenly people can't remember them. I've, I've worked with so many companies who, you know, they announce their corporate values and their employees are expected to remember the 10 corporate values that they share with every other employee. And of course, no one can. But three is seen everywhere. It's also um, a rule of comedy, for example. Um, you, you show viewers the banana skin. You show the person walking along the street. You show the person slipping on the banana skin. It's, you know, it's set up and pay off. And there is a nice structure when you have three. So I would say three. Also to use imagery, paint in pictures, use stories and use analogies, whatever. Bring the thing to life. So, for example, I was working with a civil engineer who came to me because he was really petrified of giving this big presentation. And he showed me his presentation and it was very dry. An admirable piece of uh, civil engineering, this huge tunnel underneath the Thames, it was the biggest tunnel that had ever been built. It was the widest. It was the most difficult for all sorts of geological reasons. And it didn't reach me. Too much jargon and not enough painting with pictures. So one simple uh, tweak I asked him to, to, to include was, don't just tell me how many metres deep this tunnel is. Because I can't picture that. Exactly. I can picture, roughly, how big is... Big Ben clock tower. So tell me how many Big Bens is it? Or how many London buses is it? Which he did. And we worked together on the presentation. And then I'm pleased to say he won the best presentation award. It was called the Fleming Award at the Geological Society. So it won the best presentation of the evening because he completely turned it around from being dry and boring to being stuff that people remember. So you've talked about the rule of three. You've talked about using imageries. Any other tips for how we might structure or present information in a way that's engaging? Mm -hmm. 
Well, the BBC website says, be clear, concise and correct, the three C's. So that's a very valuable piece of advice and you know it can be explored further, but I always say, start with a really interesting hook. It could be a journalistic peg. Why are you doing this topic now? Um, it could be a fascinating statistic. Um, for example, here's one I unearthed. It is a fact of the internet that every click, every view, and every sign up is recorded somewhere. And that was from Brandwatch. So that is a hook. And then you have your middle, which is the meat and two veg, the, the, the main topic that you're talking about, and then have an ending. So it sounds simple, but again, it's the rule of three, beginning, middle, and ending. So if you think about that as a structure, you won't go far wrong. These days, increasingly, information is being presented on video, in video format, where previously it would have been presented in a written format. So I'm thinking, for example, the rise of content marketing, which has always really been around, but increasingly video is part of that content marketing mix. So how would someone who had a, a written document, whether it's a, a white paper or some kind of piece of information, how would they turn it into an engaging piece of video? I've got a 5,000 word white paper, what do I do? If you look at news on a website or an article in a newspaper, then the, the structure of that is going to be very different to the way it would be if you were to speak it. And there might be pictures on the page or background information or references in a, in, a, in a narrative that just only works when you're reading it, but it doesn't work if you were to hear it. So yesterday in the Times newspaper, the headline, and you don't have a headline when you're speaking, Yes. the headline read, Our Hong Kong is not China, protesters tell Beijing. Then there was a photograph of the uprising and rioting, and then there was an article which started with these words, they finished their working day and began to march in temperatures of about 33 degrees centigrade, all with one purpose, to demand that the Hong Kong authorities abandon a bill that could lead to the extradition of dissidents on the former British colony to mainland China. So that works if you're reading a newspaper. You get the headline, so you know what the topic is going to be about. You see the picture, so you can see what's going on. And then the article starts with, they finished their working day. So if you didn't have that information, you'd be asking who? Yeah, you're referring to they being the protesters who yes. you can see in the picture. Yeah, That makes perfect sense to me, and it's in the Times newspaper. If I was to hear that on television, without the benefit of the headline, because television doesn't have a headline, without the benefit of the photograph, but someone started saying, they finished their working day, I'd be completely lost. So, as ever it's thinking about the medium and the audience and talking conversationally and giving people the beginning the middle and the end so that they can follow what you're saying easily without them having to what rewind sorry start again for me the number one skill in being a writer is empathy with your audience for example being able to put yourself in a position where that opening sentence wouldn't make sense in this context so empathy, is that a word that resonates with you? Yes, I, w I would use the word engage. Engage with your subject matter. Engage with your audience. So what do I mean? I mean, literally, even if you're selling a handbag, 
to engage with the handbag means you're not just trying to say, I've got 50 of these, I want to get rid of them as quickly as possible because um, then I can go home. And by the way, the price is dropping. No, to engage with the handbag means that you find all the features about it that you really like, that you can connect with, all the benefits of having this handbag. Maybe you've bought one and you've been using it for a week or as, a, as a test and you can explain to viewers you know, with delight how many things you can put in this handbag and it still looks stylish. You're connecting with it and you're also connecting with the viewer because you're talking to them on a one-to-one -one basis and you're imagining what is it that the viewer would like to know more about. So um, I talk about a lot about engagement. The same works, um, you know, even if you've got a, say, a dry script on chemicals, you need to get underneath the skin of that script. What is it that makes this product good or valuable or useful and connect with it and then connect with your viewer or your listener? Catherine, it's been fascinating talking to you and exploring how to write and present for video. Uh, before I let you go, I'd just like to put you through our quick fire round, which is about your own habits and processes as a writer yourself, because I do know that you have written a couple of books and you also blog. First of all, what fuels your writing when you're sitting down to write those books? Is it coffee, tea or something stronger? <laughs> Mint tea. Freshly picked mint from the garden, even better. Delicious. Uh, when do you like to write? Are you a lark or are you an owl? I'm an owl. 100% owl. Are you a planner or a plunger? Would you draft a detailed outline or would you dive right in? Planning is the key for me. Would you describe your desk as clear or cluttered? Cluttered. Music or silence? Silence. Who is your favourite writer? Well, you've really caught me on the hoof here. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm going to pluck Ronald Wolfe out of the air, who was my dad, who wrote situation comedies on the BBC and ITV, best known for The Rag Trade, Meet the Wife, On the Buses, and um, he's my hero. Finally, your best writing tip. Read it, read it, read it again, rewrite it, rewrite it, rewrite it again. <laughs> it's never perfect first time. There's always improvements to be made. Catherine Wolfe, thank you very much. Thank you, Claire. It's been an honour. If you enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you listen. And if you could leave a review while you're there, that would really help me get the show noticed. As ever, visit goodcopybadcopy.co.uk for free tips and advice on writing and the writing life. Until the next episode, bye from me.